Good morning. Uh, let me again welcome you to downtown Presbyterian Church. We're really glad that y'all are here uh, with us. Uh, whether you've been longtime member here, this is your first Sunday visiting, please know that you're so welcome here. Uh, my name is Jonathan Davis. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if I have not yet had the chance to meet you, I would love to do so after the service. This summer, we're doing a brief series in the book of Numbers, uh, which uh, is near the beginning of the Bible, just four books into the Old Testament. The text that we're looking at specifically this morning can be found printed in your bulletin. And as we said each week, that the theme of Numbers is that Israel, the Old Testament people of God, were traveling in the wilderness. Uh, the original title in Hebrew was actually just that, in the wilderness. Uh, to frame this for you, uh, this was after the Exodus, where God had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians, which we're going to talk some about today, after he'd given them the law, the Ten Commandments. But before they had entered the promised land, the, God that, the, the land that, promised, that God had promised to give them. So at this point in our text, Israel was at the foot of Mount Sinai in the wilderness, preparing to embark on this journey towards the promised land. And specifically here, they celebrate the Passover. Which we're going to talk all about what that means and what that looked like. But as I read this, I want you to think to yourself of all that Israel needed on this journey while they're in the wilderness. Why would it have been important for them to celebrate the Passover? Why would that have been significant? And what, if any, significance does the Passover have for us today? Let's give our attention to God's word. This is Numbers 9, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and its rules you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day, and those men said to them, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body, or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. If a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. This is God's word. Let's ask him to be with us as we consider it. Father, we do pause and thank you for giving us your word. Lord, uh, we confess 
that we are deeply needy of you. Uh, We confess that we do not have it all together, that we don't know what we should know, and that we don't do what we should do. We need your Holy Spirit to meet us during this time through the preaching of your word that we might know more of you and find you more beautiful. We pray you'd be with us during this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a few years ago when we were living in Kentucky, I was looking for a way to try and get in shape. And I heard about this running race at a place called the Red River Gorge, uh, which is a giant gorge in the middle of Kentucky. And it's breathtakingly beautiful, especially in the fall and spring when leaves are changing. Uh, It's beautiful to look at, but it is terrible to run in. It's terrible. I trained a little bit for this race, but not nearly enough to prepare me for the 13 miles uh, of this event. Uh, The race began by descending straight down into this gorge. Then you would cross over this river, and so your feet would get wet immediately at the beginning of this race. Then you would go straight back up the other side of the gorge, this really steep, winding trail. And you would do all that about seven times for the entirety of this race. And it was terrible. It was a miserable race. Um, I, at the beginning of the race, I went from, you know, feeling full of adrenaline, excited, like talking to the runners next to me and, and enjoying the scenery, to like beginning to like feel the weight of what I was doing, to the severity of this race, like, whew, okay, here we go. Uh, then I began to question why I'd signed up for this race. And then I just started feeling angry, like at the sport of running and just at people in general. Um, And then around mile 10, I had no energy left. I felt totally depleted. Uh, And this total depletion of energy came when I was running by myself. Most of the pack was way ahead of me. I had no fuel within me. Uh, I was stumbling. I realized I hadn't trained properly for this race. In endurance sports, they call this bonking. Uh, At this point, I had bonked. Um, and uh, it's essentially where you just totally crash because you have no energy left in your body. I'm getting wobbly. I- I'm thinking, I'm probably not going to finish the race. They're going to have to send someone in to carry me out of this gorge. And all I could think about in this moment was food. Like cheeseburgers, donuts, cookies, anything sweet and sugary. That's all that I could think about. Kids, imagine this feeling, right? When you're about to have dinner and you're really hungry, but all you want is dessert, Right? Your parents are like, no, eat the healthy food, then you can have dessert. You're like, I don't want the healthy food. I'm craving dessert right now, and that's what I want. That's exactly how I felt in this moment. Well, I'm in great need. I'm falling apart. Eventually, I turn this corner. I come out into this clearing. There's a team of volunteers. They're smiling, cheering, encouraging us on. And that was great and all. But in front of them was this table. And on the table were donuts, cookies, candy and all kinds of sweets. So I run straight to this table and I look them in the eyes. I say, thank you guys so much. And I start shoving this food in my mouth and I get tears in my eyes because I'm, I have no energy left in me. So I'm really emotional at this point. I, I, I stuff my face full of this food. I'm emotional. Somehow I wobble on and I end up finishing this race. I was in desperate need of that food. I did not have this within myself to finish the race. What I needed had to come from outside of myself. And it did through these wonderful race volunteers. Without them, I wouldn't have finished this. Y'all, our passage this morning is about our desperate need. And how that need is only met from outside of us. I'm sure you've noticed something that we do each week 
in our bulletin, in our order of worship. We always begin with this thing called the call to worship. And then we sing a song uh, that, that focuses us on who God is, on his character, on his holiness, on his purity. So right out of the gates in this worship service, we're confronted with God's otherness, with his holiness. And where do we go immediately in our bulletins after that? We go to the confession of sin. Why is this? Because after even just a few moments considering God's holiness, we're immediately struck with our own lack of holiness. How we fall short to believe what we should believe, to think what we should think, to live how we should live. And so we're driven to confession. And this element of our worship service, it's, it's there for a reason, because this is where we find ourselves, right? This is the reality of our lives. Uh, you could say that, that this is this gap between who we really are and then who we wish we were. That's what this gap is. And how do we reconcile these two things? God's holiness is perfection. And from this, his demand of our holiness and perfection. But yet also our sinfulness and lack of holiness. That not only disqualifies us from being in a relationship with him, but it also causes us to actually deserve his wrath and condemnation. How do we reconcile these things? Well, we don't. But God does. God makes provision, and and that's what our text is about this morning, this idea of God's provision in the wilderness. How does God provide for his people Israel in the wilderness? One of the ways he does it is through the Passover. So I want to approach our text this way this morning. I want to look at the Passover explained, the Passover questioned, and the Passover fulfilled. Okay, important question up front. What is the Passover? Let's talk about the Passover explained. In order to understand our passage in Numbers, we need to understand the Passover from its original context, which is found in Exodus chapters 11 through 13. It'd be good to mark down and go back and read that later this afternoon. But let me summarize it for us. Okay, what happened? So Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Egypt was a superpower in the ancient world at this time. God's people were enslaved. They were mistreated. They were severely oppressed. And so God, through Moses and Aaron, whom we talked about last week, performs these ten plagues or miracles. Maybe you've heard of these plagues, read about that before, in order to free his people from Pharaoh in the hand of the Egyptians. And as these plagues progress in Exodus, there's this refrain that says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he didn't let God's people go. This happens throughout these first nine plagues. Well, eventually God promises a tenth plague. And this one is intense which he says he will kill the firstborn of Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, man and beast alike. I want to summarize this to explain this Passover just in three ways from Exodus 11 through 13. First, what was the reason? What was the reason for God taking the firstborn of the Egyptians? So God, speaking through Moses and Aaron, had warned Pharaoh time and time again, if you go back and read it, as the plagues continue, Yet Pharaoh remains disobedient to the voice of the Lord because his heart was hardened. And so God's wrath and punishment would be poured out. It's important to say here, because God is perfectly holy, perfect obedience to him is what is required. And when there's any deviation from that perfect obedience, God must pour out his wrath because of who he is, because of his perfect character. Last week we talked about God's shalom, 
this holistic peace that, that God is bringing about in the world. This comprehensive peace, this was God's design for creation. Yet our sin fractures this peace. Our sin breaks this shalom. Any disobedience towards God is an affront to God's shalom in the world, and it must be dealt with in order for God to remain just. And he is just that, perfectly just. And so God will not tolerate this oppression like what was happening by the Egyptians. And it's not just that he won't, but that he can't. His character simply won't allow it. He must execute justice on disobedience. This is the reason for the plagues and ultimately for the taking of the firstborn of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. All the Egyptians were included in this because Pharaoh was their representative. He was acting on behalf of the Egyptians. This is the reason for the Passover event, the oppression and enslavement of God's people at the hand of the Egyptians. That's the reason. What was the process? How would all this take place? What did the Israelites have to do in order to be protected from God's wrath? And and I want to spend a minute here because the particulars of this are important in order to understand our passage. So God commanded the Israelites to take a one-year-old male lamb and to slaughter that lamb. They were to take the blood of this lamb, put it on the doorposts and above the lintel, above the door of their home. So imagine there's literally a lamb's blood smeared around the doorway. Then they were to take the remainder of the lamb to roast it, specifically with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they were to eat it. And anything that was not consumed, they were to burn that night. They were to eat this meal quickly, with their robes on, with their staff ready, ready to escape. On the night of the sacrifice and the feast, God would pass through Egypt, strike down the firstborn of all the Egyptians, both man and beast, And the blood over the doors of the Israelites would serve as a protection for God's people. God would pass over the houses that were marked with the blood of the Lamb. And so at midnight it happened. Exodus 12 verse 30 explains it this way. It says, And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And God's people were able to escape. The exodus happens. The Red Sea event happens. But ultimately they're freed. After 430 years in Egypt, they're freed at this point. This Passover feast that we're reading about would not just be this one-time event, but God tells them to celebrate it every year, year after year, and that their children are actually going to ask them, why are we doing this? And that would give the parents an opportunity to say, because this is how God rescued us. What was the key in this whole process? It was the blood of the lamb. The blood was essential for them to be passed over. Because the lamb would die instead of their own firstborn. So God would provide for them through this sacrificial lamb. This was the process of the Passover. What was the significance? You could see the ongoing significance of remembering this Passover. Up to this point in history of God dealing with his people, the exodus out of Egypt was the act of salvation. Right? And so it's so important that it's in the preface of the Ten Commandments. I am Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? Out of the house of slavery. All that to say this. The ongoing celebration of Passover would have been a built-in way for Israel to remember God's provision and protection of them. And this act of remembering God's rescue, this would be the thing that would keep them going in the wilderness. 
The Passover feast was God's way of saying, don't forget my faithfulness to you. Remember. Remember what I did. Remember that I'm committed to you. Remember that I love you. Remember the lengths I will go to protect you as my children. So they were to keep this Passover year after year. And the point is that they would remember. Uh, During the process of moving here just a few months ago, um, I've had to update our information and address and all that on pretty much everything uh, that our name is tied to. So what that means is that I have to log into basically every like internet account thing that we have and update our information, um, which means remembering a lot of passwords. Um, I've been struck lately by how basically everything in life requires like three passwords for us to get into. Um, I, I think about it. It started like innocently enough with, with AOL back in the day, and then online banking became this thing that we were unsure about to now this thing that we can't live without, right? But it all requires passwords. Now it's phone, computer, online banking, PIN numbers, email, social media, Amazon, Netflix, any sort of online bill. It all requires a password, right? But then like the really secure sites give you three attempts to remember your password, and then you're locked out. So you have to call, and it's just this big ordeal, right? Um, There are actually apps, funny enough, there are apps that are created to help you remember your passwords, but oddly enough, you have to have a password to get into the password app to help you remember your passwords. I'm chronically forgetting these. But almost everything in our life requires that in order to get into it, you have to remember. You have to remember the password. In the history of God's people, the Passover event tells us that the key for Israel's ongoing flourishing, their ongoing health, their ongoing nearness with the Lord, was that they remember. They had to remember how he saved them. This is why God requires them to keep the Passover. So they would remember his salvation. And you can see how this would be crucial for them in the wilderness during this in-between time, after the Exodus, but not yet in that promised land, just in this period of waiting. They had to remember his salvation in order to stay oriented. So this is where our text, Numbers 9, is based. Israel in the wilderness being commanded by God to keep the Passover and to remember. And we see that they do this in verses 1 through 5 of our text. It's pretty straightforward. God says keep the Passover, and they do it. But then there's this tension that arises. We've seen the Passover explained. Let's look at the Passover question. Verses 6 through 8 really are the crux of this text. Now, this time is significant because this would have been the first time after the actual Passover event that Israel would have been celebrating this feast, just one year later. So the event itself would have been fresh on everyone's mind. It's not hard to think about what you were doing in July of 2016, right? This would have been a year ago for them. So it's fresh on their mind. There was no question about its significance, about celebrating it, of remembering. And people were obeying, and they did it. But then in verse 6, there's this question. It says, And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to them, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? All right, think about all that we just said. In light of all the specifics of the Passover, you can feel the boldness of this question. God had given clear instructions on the particulars of the Passover. God had given clear instructions on the cleanliness laws. 
Yet these men, desiring to keep the Passover, in spite of their uncleanliness, they ask this bold question. Can we keep the Passover also? And questions can be powerful. Uh, The right question can can change the course of history, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. Um, I will never forget uh, in Dallas, Texas, sitting at, uh, I think, a restaurant called Ozona, um, when my wife Erin and I, we had just started dating, we weren't official official yet, and uh, we were at dinner, and she asked me this question, which is a great question if you're trying to get your guy to commit. She says, hey, uh, when you're with your friends, how do you refer to me? Uh, you know, like, what do you call me? And I <clears throat> nervously sat up and said, well, I, uh, I call you my girlfriend. And then from there, things became official. Looking back, I probably would have handled that conversation a little bit differently. But Aaron's bold question led to this occasion for things to become more official for us. The question asked by these unclean men was a really bold question. And actually, if you look at the text in verse 8, Moses doesn't give them an immediate answer. He says, wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So he goes to ask God. So Moses seeks the Lord for an answer to this question. Remember, God had given clear instructions for the Passover, clear instructions for the cleanliness laws. In the midst of this question about their desire to participate in the Passover meal, how does the Lord respond? Look at the answer in verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. So what does God do? He grants them provision here. God uses this question of these men to broaden his provision for them keeping this service. And he goes even further when he says, or if someone is on a long journey. And what's the specific provision that God gives them? Verse 11. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. So God makes provision for them by granting this one month delay. He's saying, wait a month, but then keep the Passover exactly as I prescribed to you. What is being communicated by God with this question, by by how he answers this question? What is God saying with this provision? This is an act of grace and mercy by the Lord. What he's saying here is that in this context, yes, uncleanliness is a big deal, but not keeping the Passover, not remembering my salvation for you is an even bigger deal. So God broadens the provision of keeping the Passover to the unclean Israelite, to the Israelite who's traveling, and even to foreigners who are among them and desire to keep it. How can God do this? How can God make this provision? It's because of the Passover. The Passover itself allows for this provision. This was not the ideal way to keep the Passover. This was a provision granted to God's people in the midst of the reality of things like uncleanliness and travel that was the reality of their experience in the wilderness. But this is precisely why it's so important to remember the Passover. Because the Passover is the event where God covers our imperfection, our disobedience, our sin by the blood of the Lamb. So the Passover itself is what makes this provision possible. One scholar named Ian Duguid says it this way, The Passover itself shows how God can be both the God of absolute obedience and of grace and mercy. 
At the first Passover, one life was substituted for the life of another. The Passover lamb took the place of the firstborn son and enabled him to live through its death. So God broadens his provision for his people here in the wilderness. But look at verse 13. In verse 13, God says that that if there's nothing hindering you from keeping this Passover, then you must do it or you're going to be cut off from God's people. Why is that so strongly stated? God had provided for his people through the blood of the lamb, but he's saying here that if you don't keep this Passover, what you're saying is that you don't need the blood of the lamb to cover you. And therefore, you're on your own with your sin. And therefore, you're subject to God's wrath, just like the Egyptians. God is saying here that there is one way of salvation, and it's through sacrificial blood. It's through the sacrificial death of another. And if you're not covered by this blood, then there is no salvation. These are really hard but gracious words from the Lord. Okay, so we've seen the Passover explained. We've seen the Passover questioned and how God answered it and granted this provision for his people. Let's look at the Passover fulfilled. Uh, So having uh, two daughters, I was pretty immediately thrown in uh, to watching all the Disney princess movies. Uh, Tangled, it's my favorite. Frozen, um, they're all kind of on repeat in our house, and and I love it. Um, As my daughters watch these movies over and over again, I've begun to get an appreciation for the whole Disney empire. It really is uh, an empire. It's not just movies. It's not even just a brand. Um, At the risk of sounding dramatic, it's kind of a lifestyle um, that's slowly being like dripped into our lives. Um, But over time, I I really became impressed with the whole Disney empire and actually grew to appreciate it. And then came the glorious day when the grandparents said they would take our family to Disney World. I thought this would be fun for my kids and it'll be a week that I just kind of have to get through. All right, when we walked down Main Street to the Magic Kingdom on the first day, I was floored. I was giddy. I was excited. It changed everything for me. I thought I was impressed by Disney based on the movies, toys, games, all that, but I was in awe of seeing Disney in person. We were there right before Christmas, and so there were Christmas lights and parades. It gives me goosebumps just talking about it. This was like the ultimate Disney experience, and it left this like deep, lasting impression on me. And after experiencing Disney World firsthand, you know it gave me a new appreciation for all the movies that are constantly on repeat in my house. Now, we can look at something like the Passover in the Old Testament. We can appreciate it. We can seek to understand its meaning, the original context of it even be really amazed and impressed by how God provided for his people. And then we see Jesus, where we're no longer reading about an animal, a lamb that was slain to provide for God's people, but we see a person slain to provide for God's people. What was an annual service for the people of God, right? Something to be done year after year, which year after year would in fact give Israel a growing appreciation for God's provision, for his deliverance of them. What we see in Christ is this happened as a one-time earth-shattering event that would totally change everything for God's people. When you get to the Gospels in the New Testament, you see firsthand Christ, the Passover lamb, Verse 12 in our passage 
And speaking of the lamb that's to be used, it says that none of the lamb's bones should be broken. Do you know where this verse is quoted again? Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 36. He's referring to Jesus hanging on the cross where the Roman soldiers went and broke the legs of the two men that were crucified next to Jesus. But when they got to Jesus, he had already died. So they didn't break any of his bones. But John says that this was to fulfill the scriptures of Numbers 9 and Exodus 12. In Christ, in Christ, we see this fulfilled. What John is telling us is that Jesus is our Passover lamb, whose blood was shed in order to provide atonement for the sins of God's people, in order to protect us from God's wrath on sin. The Apostle Paul says it even more explicitly in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, when he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God's provision of the lamb for the people of Israel that led to their freedom from the Egyptian captivity was amazing. A pivotal moment of salvation for Israel's history. An incredible display of God's mercy and grace for his people. God's provision for allowing these unclean men, those traveling, the foreigners to participate in the Passover meal was also amazing. Incredible display of his mercy and grace. God's provision for the people of Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb is simply unmatched. It's the ultimate display of God's mercy and grace to his people. It's the ultimate pivotal moment of salvation in the history of the church. Our passage is all about, is all about God's provision for his people in the wilderness. And you see how it reaches its ultimate fulfillment in Christ, who is our provision once and for all. And you can see, right, how God has made a way for our salvation in Christ. That when his blood covers you, that when he dies in your place, the wrath of God passes over you. I would just say that if you're here this morning and you don't yet consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're here exploring what this is all about, I want you to be amazed at God's provision of salvation for you. And I want you to feel the weight of this passage. God has provided a way of salvation, a way of protection, a way out of all of your guilt, all of your sin, all of your shame. He's provided a way for that to be covered. And he offers it to you this morning simply by crying out to him in faith. But this is also the only way of salvation. There is no way to be protected from God's judgment on sin outside of the blood of Christ. There's nothing you can do to earn that. There are no amount of good things. There's no amount of church services you can attend to earn that. The blood of Christ is the only way In the same way that Israel had to have the blood of the Lamb above their door in order to be saved, we have to have the blood of Jesus covering us in order to be saved. If this is not yet your faith, would you come to the one who offers himself to you, who died in your place? If you're here this morning and you do consider yourself a Christian, if if Christ is central to all that you do in life, Do you see what this does for your nagging guilt for past sins? Things that you just can't feel forgiven for. Christ, the Passover lamb, died in your place. 
Your guilt has been paid for. If you have the lingering question in your mind of whether or not God really loves you, look to Christ, the Passover lamb who died in your place. This is how much God loves you. And as Israel was in the wilderness, so we too are in the wilderness as we remember the death and resurrection of Christ, the ultimate salvation event. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth where all things are brought to this perfect, eternal culmination. In the in-between time, we stand in the wilderness. In the details of your life, last week, this week, this is the wilderness. What do we need to remember? What do we need to remember while we're in the wilderness? We need to remember the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, This is what we need, and God has provided. In a few moments, we're going to come to the table and taste and remember. Let me pray and ask God to prepare us to do so. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, this text is a lot. It's a lot to take in. I pray you give us grace to understand it. You give us eyes to see your truth, ears to hear it, hearts to believe it. Lord, may we grow in an understanding of who you are, what you've done on our behalf. Lord, may we uh, deeply in our hearts know more of your love and grace and mercy to your people and to, to feel the extent to which you went for the sake of your people. God, remind us of that today and be with us now, we ask that we come to the table in Christ's name. Amen.